You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, what's up, Resonate? So we are talking about identity theft here in this last um, last part of this series. And I don't know if you've ever had your identity stolen, um, but it is it is not fun. A few years ago, um, we went to a red box <clears throat> and uh, we inserted our card and someone had on the on the red box thing um, had put a like card reader um, that was a part of like internal to the box and it read the card not only to give us access to that movie um, but also for them to get access to our card and so we went through over the next uh, couple of months um, just these surprises and they weren't super exciting surprises Um, but there were surprises like um, one day it showed up on our bill that we'd spent $238 at McDonald's at McDonald's, like, and, um, and we were like, what did this come from? Like, and um, this, of course, can't be us. There's no way that we would spend, in one setting, $238. Um, and then uh, another time, it was, uh, it, was, it was Taco Bell. And so then Taco Bell had another um, 100, like, who are these people? And, like, how many friends do they have? Because at Taco Bell, to spend $200 is a feat. Like... That's like, can I have everything? Let me just have everything on the menu all at once. Um, and then there was a Bed Bath & Beyond, um, and I was like, of course, that can't be me. That would never be my card. Um, and then there was a Best Buy, and I was like, I don't know, that might be me. Yeah, that might, that it might actually be um, something that we would do. But we had all these charges. And, um, and so finally, there was this moment where, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, um, we call immediately and say, hey, there's, there's something that's happened. And, um, and they say, yes, we, we can see that this is, um, like, and they're tracking where they went to, like, all these different places. And anyway, they begin to say, okay, these are these places that you can t- take out cash. But all this time, obviously, it's not us doing this. And so there's this moment that's like this tension of like, hey, that's not us. And I don't know if you've ever had your identity stolen, but it's not like just like someone comes and robs you. Like it's much more personal. Um, I mean, when you get robbed, that's like, hey, that's a big deal. But when they steal your identity, it's like this double thing. It's like, but that's me, you know, you're stealing me. And and so in this, as we begin to think about this idea um, of identity theft with with Jesus, I think that there seems these, these realities that Jesus speaks and says, this is who I am. And over the last 2000 years, there's been these moments where we've taken the idea of Jesus and we've conformed Jesus into the Jesus that we want. And we've taken the idea of Jesus and we've said, I'd like to conform Jesus into the way that I want to have Jesus. And, and so in this, um, as we begin to look into this, uh, we as, uh, as our pastors wanted to say, okay, what is it that Jesus defines and how can we begin to look at what Jesus says to himself and begin to clear all the confusion away and to begin to say, what does Jesus, um, what does re- really Jesus say? This is, this is the truth. You, you begin to understand me when you understand these things. And the unfortunate thing is sometimes when we look at this, it's not a palatable Jesus. It's, it's a Jesus that begins to be like, okay, Hey, that's that, that's gonna that's not ultimately what I've been thinking Jesus was all about. And so today we look at a, a phrase um, that Jesus calls, um, "I am the good shepherd." 
And as we think about that phrase, I am the good shepherd, uh, really what is happening is Jesus is beginning to help us to be able to understand this relationship of sheep and shepherd. And the best way I can think about how to, how to begin to get underneath what this thing is all about is to be able to ask really, um, what is an organizational principle or organizing principle of our life? And so if you think about um, organizing principles, you begin to think about if you have an organizing principle, it's the truth um, that your life is organized around, or it's the truth that anything is organized around. When you begin to ask, what is the truth that creates a cascading effect on the rest of your life? And so if you begin to think um, for, um, for a business, the organizing principle is profit, right? So all of the decisions that a business might, might, might make is ultimately to increase their profit, to be able to say, we are in business to create profit. And so profit is the organizing principle. Now, whatever the industry is, that would be um, secondary to the idea, the organizing truth of, uh, of creating profit. If it's a nonprofit, maybe it's organ- the organizing um, principle is solving an issue. Every organization, um, even higher education, um, you guys at University of Oregon, the organizing principle is football, right? So everything is around what's going to happen with this football team. So um, when you begin to look at this and you begin to ask, what's the organizing principle of your life? And then, you know, for other, others, um, you begin to think about um, how is it that I begin to understand how all these issues connect to this, this thing. And the best thing to do when we begin to say, okay, what is the organizing principle is not to look at, um, if it's an organization to look at the, the, the thing that's on the wall somewhere or, um, to look at the phrase. Um, but it's actually the organizing principle is best revealed in the actions of the organization. And for us in our lives, the organizing principle of our life is most clearly demonstrate demonstrated in the actions of our lives. And so if you were to take and you were to remove the soundtrack of our life and you were to remove us speaking about our life and all you were to look at is the actions of your life and then you're to be able to say, okay, what does it, if I look at the actions of my life, then ultimately what can I discern? What you would find is this, you'd be able to find the organizing principle. You'd be able to find out what is it that ultimately everything is tethered to. And so as you look at this, we begin to ask, when we begin to see this, could, could it be that the organizing principle of my life is my happiness, my comfort, maybe for some, a lack of conflict? I just want to do, like, my goal is to create a lack of, of uh, conflict. Maybe it's the organizing principle is that I want to be significant. And so all the actions, if you're just to look at them, the thing that begins to tether all these actions together is that I want to be significant or I want to gain wealth. I want to be a wealthy individual. And so my behaviors, if you're to look at them, like they're all, the end goal is for them to be able to bring me to the wealth or to gain power or maybe to have community. Like I want to have friends. I want to have this, this significance relationships. And so we ask this, this question, what is the organizing principle of our life? And one day we'll all have to ask, ask, is the organization, is the organizing principle of my life following Jesus? And so when he says, I am the good shepherd, that phrase is loaded with this idea of really what is the organizational principle of your life? What is the organizing truth of your life? 
And so in John 10, 10, um, basically what happens is we're going to follow a, uh, this passage after Jesus takes and heals this blind guy. And so in, in John chapter nine, Jesus heals this blind guy. And then chapter 10 is the fallout from everybody who's mad at Jesus healing this blind guy. But what he begins to use is this phrase to be able to say, okay, to clarify what I'm actually trying to do for you to understand who I am, I want you to understand that I am the good shepherd. Now, this phrase, um, it's, it's, it's not the first time we hear this in the Bible as we read the Bible about what Jesus says is this relationship to, um, to the people. In fact, in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 9, verse 36, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he saw all these people around, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So... Jesus is beginning to look into the world and he's beginning to see this, this clarity that everybody needs leadership in their life. Everybody needs the, the clarity of understanding who the shepherd is because without a shepherd, here's this, here's this truth of the world, is that when we lack an organizing principle and specifically when we lack Jesus as the organizing principle, what happens is, is there's two words, that we are harassed and helpless. Now we can go into different translations and find these words, but these words ultimately are talking about this, this reality that there is something that begins to take and create chaos in our life. And there is a lack of ability for us to be able to overcome those things and ultimately to live out those, those the deepest desires of our heart. And so we desire these things, but we are harassed and we are helpless to this. And to this, Jesus is looking with compassion on these people and being able to say, hey, what they need is a shepherd. What they need is a leader. Now, when we ask this question of us, is that what we need? We hear the word, a good shepherd, that I am the good shepherd, that I am um, authoritative, that I am the leader of the sheep. And, and we might have some issues with this. We think about um, this, here's the collision of culture, that when you begin to recognize that you are a sheep that needs a shepherd, it collides with this idea of I am my own shepherd and I'm not sure that Jesus is really good. So here's the collision, and here's where we begin to have this, this belief in the world that I'm my own shepherd, that I create my own you know, direction in my life, that I'm the one who calls the shots in my life, and I'm not so sure that Jesus is really good. In fact, oftentimes as we think about who, who this good shepherd is, this question of um, really on, on, on two sides. One, if you're religious, then there's this sense that like, that, that you begin to wonder, is, is it, are you just having to do this thing ultimately to, to appease Jesus? There's an old joke and, and, it, and it says what this, one night, one night, a burglar broke into a house that he thought was empty. He tiptoed into the living room, but suddenly froze in his tracks when he heard a loud voice say, Jesus is watching you. Silence returned to the house, so the burglar crept forward again. Jesus is watching you. The voice, the voice boomed again. The burglar stopped dead. He was frightened. Frantically, he looked all around. In a dark, dark corner, he pointed his flashlight and he spotted a birdcage, and in the cage was a parrot. 
he asked the parrot, was that you that said Jesus is watching me? Just go with me on this. Yes, said the parrot. The burglar breathed a sigh of relief. Then he asked the parrot, what's your name? Moses, said the bird. He said, that's a dumb name for a parrot, sneered the burglar. What idiot named you Moses? The parrot says, the same idiot who named the Rottweiler Jesus. This is this um, reality where you begin to have this, like if you come from this religious background, this idea that Jesus is watching, right? That you begin to say, okay, is Jesus, like, do I really want Jesus to be the leader of my life? Do I want him to be the shepherd? Because it seems like Jesus is this over like watching kind of like orientation like that I'm always kind of having to be on my best behavior and I'm trying not to necessarily have Jesus as the shepherd because my view of Jesus is like I want distance from Jesus because my belief is that Jesus is just that thing that's always watching and so in this you begin to have this other side and the other side is this that I want to be my own shepherd that when we begin to put this idea of he is good and he is a shepherd, like this is a struggle for some of us because some of us struggle with this idea of Jesus being good, that we don't really have a sense of God's deep love, that his, his love is a foreign idea to us. And if you were really to try to identify God's love, it would be a difficult thing to really clearly recognize Like if we got really real and if you were to kind of pull back the layers and say, hey, have you experienced the love of Jesus, the love of God? Like that might be a difficult thing for you to actually say, well, I think it fits into this category or or I felt like hints of this thing, but like this overwhelming, this is like this love of Jesus. That would be a hard thing to believe that this is a actually a good shepherd. And therefore it's hard for Jesus to be the, uh, the organizing principle. If we struggle to believe that he's actually good. The other part is this, that some of us love the idea of a loving God, a good God, a God that is helpful, but we'd rather have a good consultant. If Jesus was said, I'm the good helper, I'm the good consultant, I'm, I, I'm the good, uh, y- you know, input into your life, but not authority into your life because you can do it. And like Home Depot, I can help you. You can do it. I can help. And so in that you begin to have this tension and we ask, is this what Jesus is intending? And so we get into John 10 with the background of the tension that we have here. And it says this, very truly, uh, I'm gonna read through this and, and I want us to be able to get into, um, basically go through a fairly lengthy um, thing and to be able to understand that what we're seeing here is this, is this illustration. And Jesus is gonna attach different things to this illustration. So if you begin to think about this as a narrative story of a shepherd and, and sheep, then you're gonna be lost in this. But if you begin to think about this idea of the organizing principle being the, the shepherd and being what happens when sheep have leadership in their life, then this might make a little bit more sense. So here we go. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, this is who he's speaking to. This is the people who are mad at him for healing this blind person. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Okay, so get this. So you have this idea that there's, there's this sheep pen and, and there's this kind of 
place where all these sheep, they don't just get to roam freely in some of these moments, but they are there in this place and it is there maybe in the evening times and it's there to protect them. And it says this, that anyone who doesn't, like there's a gate and oftentimes what would happen is the shepherd would sleep at the gate. And it's saying that if anyone enters into this by anything other than the gate, then you will know one thing about them that they are a thief and a robber. It says this, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his um, sheep by name and leads them out. I, I want you to get this really, really quick. I want you to understand this, this idea that when we think about sheep and when we think about herding, oftentimes we might think about dogs and, and, and machines. Here's what we have to understand that when we, when Jesus begins to articulate what kind of shepherd that he is, it is this thing that he calls his own. And how does he call them own? It doesn't make just even just one of the more common things would that be a shepherd that would, would sing a song or he would make a noise and the sheep would know this noise or know the song. And then the sheep would be able to follow after the shepherd because they would have a familiar tone. They would have a familiar song that they would be able to do. But Jesus goes even further. It says, I don't just have a generic tone. I don't just have a generic song. I just don't have a, a call that fits. I'm, I'm calling them by name. And, and I think that we need to get this because we need to understand that, you know, there's a, a few billion of us in the world, right? But in this, the Jesus knows our name and he leads them. Okay. So he calls by name and leads. I need these words to kind of get into our hearts today that he calls by name and he leads. This is the, as, as Jesus is going to be the organizing principle as he becomes the good shepherd, this is what it begins to look at, look like. So when he's brought all of his own, brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They follow because they know his voice. Now, one of the things that you begin to see about this shepherd relationship is that it's not based upon force. It's based upon influence. And it's based upon the shepherd being able to say, he's leading out ahead of them and voluntarily, out of, out of no obligation, but out of some sort of a desire that there is a following, that they begin to follow him because they know his voice. So here's what we go on to say, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from the stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, now we have to understand that to recognize a stranger's voice, that they've got to recognize the shepherd's voice, right? But if they don't recognize the shepherd's voice, then they could never understand that this is a stranger's voice that would lead them away. So what will happen? They will never run away if they begin to mistake one voice for another voice, not being the voice of their shepherd, but being the voice of something else and something, um, something other than the shepherd. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So right, right here, we have this massive break, right? Become, be, be, between idea one and idea two. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So you have life and you have fullness here, right? And this is this, this truth that begins to hopefully begin to land in our hearts about two ways to live life. But we have to understand how we identify what is a thief and what is the shepherd. So here we go. I am the good shepherd. How do we know? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life for the sheep. This is this, this truth that we begin to look at. We begin to ask ourselves, okay, how is it that we begin to run towards the Father? And what do we need to do to be able to operate out of this? And so I want to just go through and say, okay, what does it look like for us to, to understand how, how to operate? As Jesus, as the organizing principle, as Jesus as the good shepherd, what do we do? And how do we respond to Jesus if he is organized like this? It begins to um, start off with this, that we listen for his voice. To be able to respond to the shepherd, we've got to listen for his voice. We've got to be people who, who ultimately are running towards God because we're listening to his voice. And this is the key thing that Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm calling you my name. But for us to be people who are saying, okay, as I begin to live my life out and I begin to have the organizing principle of my, in my life of Jesus, and this begins to be this shepherd that begins to lead me, what happens is we begin to see Jesus being able to have clarity in our life because we are listening deeply to him. We're, we're being able to discern his voice. Now, in, in that time, there would likely have been um, multiple shepherds and multiple flocks. It says this, that it would, it's, it would be even fascinating because there would be multiple flocks that were sometimes in the same pen. And simply by listening to the shepherd's voice, the sheep that were a part, they were all blended in, but the sheep that were a part of that flock would ultimately just begin to move towards that shepherd. And the rest of them would stay because sheep, they would hear their voice. Now, here's the question. As we begin to think about, do we, do we hear the, the voice of Jesus? Uh, do we, are, are we leaning in and being able to say, I can recognize that this is the voice of Jesus? Because the other part is this, we've got to run from any other voice. So when we begin to say, okay, the first thing that we do is we're listening to the voice of Jesus. That we begin to see in our lives as we're making decision, there's, there's a, a heavenly father is moving towards us, speaking to us, clarifying his leadership in our life. 
But then there's these other voices. And these other voices are not the voices that are going through the gate. And what Jesus is clearly saying in John 10, 10 is this, that the end goal is that there's gonna have, it's gonna kill, steal, and destroy. And so whenever we hear a voice that doesn't come through the gate, whenever there's clarity of this is not coming through the gate, we have to have the wisdom to be able to say, okay, that's going to end up in destruction. That's going to end up in a place that is ultimately not going to lead me to flourishing. And so as we hear that, we begin to say, what does it look like to run from any other voice? I think that what happens oftentimes is what, what we begin to do is this, is that we hear or we're beginning to hear the voice of Jesus, but we're also integrating the voices that are not coming through the gate. And just let's get really practical about this idea right now. When you think about there's a gate and, and that Jesus has defined the gate, when we begin to ask the questions in our life, is this coming through the gate? If you just use that phrase, if you just say, in this moment, is this coming through the gate? I, I think that we can begin to have wisdom on decisions in our life and we can begin to say, that's not coming through the gate. That's not coming through the way of Jesus. That's not coming through the clarity of what Jesus has articulated. And I can begin to say, okay, that I can begin to move away from that decision because I know that no matter, no matter what, that ultimately, even if it just, even if it's a sweet sound, even if it sounds similar, that is not the voice of the shepherd. That's not coming through the gate. So I must run away from it. And what, what messes up sheep ultimately is when they don't know who the shepherd is. And they begin to listen to other shepherds and they begin to listen to other voices and they begin to not know which way to go. And I would say that there's chaos oftentimes in our lives because we don't know the voice of the shepherd, because we don't trust the voice of the shepherd, because we're saying, okay, Jesus is an option. One of, one of our, my potential shepherds is Jesus, but you know what? I can actually choose my own things as well. And this, this is what we have to believe as well. We have to believe that if it doesn't enter through the gate, it's ultimately going to steal, kill, and destroy. I've, I've walked with people long enough to know that one of the most significant things is when we become, one of the most significant pitfalls in our life is when we begin to believe that we're good enough to be our own shepherds and that the voices that are coming outside of the gate actually aren't going to do nearly as bad things as we think they're going, or like we, we don't think that they're really gonna do things that are going to steal, kill, and destroy. And so here's what happens is, is we begin to say, okay, you know what? I can listen to my shepherd, but I'm also going to lis listen to this person that's not coming through the gate. I'm going to listen to this idea that I'm going to listen. And all of a sudden we bring in all the rest of this stuff and we're not saying, okay, you are the organizing principle of my life, Jesus. And we begin to have other things that begin to enter in. And as we begin to have other things that enter in, Jesus is not the good shepherd. Jesus is the good consultant because somehow we have missed the idea that it's ultimately going to steal, kill, and destroy us. Now, because our church is so young, we are particularly vulnerable to this. 
because we don't have, uh, for many of us, we don't have the number of years that we've looked at to be able to say, yep, yep, that came, that was a thief. That was a robber. That robbed my joy. That was the thief of this experience. That was not, that was not ultimately what it was supposed to be. And that destroyed this relationship. And that destroyed this, this destination in my life. And that, and that ultimately killed this, this um, beautiful thing that was happening. That killed hope I had in this. That, oh. And what happens is that because we think that Jesus is an optional shepherd, that Jesus is the good consultant and not the good shepherd, we begin to listen to things and we think, you know what, it won't happen to me. I can date like this and this deep, deep hurt won't happen to me. I can choose to, to have materialism begin to be the organizational um, truth of my life and actually that won't lead me to a dead end. I can begin to pursue this at the cost of the relationships around me and actually that's not gonna kill the relationships. I'll figure out a way around it and that is a cul-de-sac of stupidity that we begin to believe that somehow that we are immune from the things that are around us. And Jesus said, this is like, you're a sheep. You're not nearly as smart as you think you are. And life is much more complex than you will ever imagine it to be. And so we look at this and we begin to understand that, um, <clears throat> that the greatest threat to the sheep is the threat that the shepherd sacrifices for. Let me read a quote to you from D.A. Carson. It says this, this shepherd does not die for his sheep to serve as an example, throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display of what, in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you. No, the assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger and that in their defense, the shepherd loses his life and that by his death, they are saved. That and that alone is what makes him a good shepherd. And so what Jesus does is this, I want you to hear my voice and I want you to reject the voices of all others. And here's how you're gonna know that I am the good shepherd. He says this, because I'm not like the hired hand. I'm not like the hired hand that when the wolf comes, he runs and everybody scatters. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna lay my life down for you. And for us to be able to understand that the most significant thing that the shepherd lays his life down for is the greatest threat. And so when we begin to look around and be, begin to have our eyes shifted and said, oh, this threatens my happiness or this threatens my self-actualization or whatever it is, that we begin to say, okay, what did Jesus actually die for? That, that we might have a connection and a relationship with our heavenly father. And if that becomes something other than the organizational principle of our life, the organizing factor, the, uh, the, the truth of our life that we begin to appoint everything else to, what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus' life and saying, actually, I think something else is more important. I think that your death on the cross was just a really, really potent picture of your love. And Jesus is saying this, this is what happens. What I did to lay down my life clarified your greatest threat to your life. And in this, we need to trust the actions of the sacrificial shepherd. This is the last thing. When we begin to think about this, we have to trust the actions of the sacrificial shepherd. There's, there's, in just researching, what did, what do shepherds do? 
there's this fascinating combination of what the shepherd does to protect the flock. One of them are the things that we would historically know um, that the shepherd would confront the threats to the flock. And so we read in the Bible about, um, about David and how he, um, he killed wild beasts and, and, and that because he needed to protect the flock. That, that the shepherd, when there's a threat to um, the, the flock, and obviously sheep are easy targets, they're slow-moving, tasty animals. And so as you begin to think about that, the shepherd is ultimately trying to take and to, um, to remove those threats. And so the shepherd takes on the bear when he needs to take on the bear. So the, the other thing that the shepherd does is that to be able to make the sheep, um, to, to, be, to be able to protect the sheep, he'll do, he'll do things that the sheep will be able to, um, to, to, to be together where they are the, sh- the safest. Uh, like, like the shepherd would, like there's stories of the shepherd breaking, like if there was a, a sheep that would constantly be, be running away, that he would break the leg of that sheep and that he would carry the sheep around until the leg would mend. Then therefore the sheep would never have this idea of I'm going to run away. I've gotten used to the time being here in the center next to the master. And this radical idea that Jesus is the one that takes and he'll hunt, you know, hunt the bear and he'll break your leg. And this is the good shepherd because the thing that we need most is to be protected from being harassed and helpless. And until we understand that we are actually sheep and we have this view of ourselves, like, hey, I got this. Like the sheep that begins to say, hey, I don't need the shepherd. I'll go out. When we begin to see this, like even the idea of that Jesus chooses his sheep, like we look at Psalm 23 and he says, he leads me besides the still waters. Just so we get clarity on this. Sheep are afraid of fast moving water. So sometimes the shepherds would have to take and they would have to build a dam to be able to slow down the water so that the sheep would be able to drink because they would take and they would um, ultimately, um, they would die before they would drink the fast moving water. And we would think like that's like, at some point your thirst would be so overwhelming, but sheep would die because they're scared of this water. So they would have to do these things. And I want you to get that the actions of the sacrificial shepherd that he would do whatever it takes, both in the most uh, like loving and it, like opening these, these opportunities for us that we don't deserve, but also to protect us. Sometimes he breaks our legs so that we might be able to understand that outside of the protection of the shepherd are the thieves and the robbers. And that is ultimately going to lead us to having the reality of a moment that something is, is taken, is killed and destroyed. So as we think about this, I, I want to go back to that last thing to help us to understand not only what we should be as shepherds, but what we should do. In Matthew 9, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like the most, like, so what, what does he begin to say to, for them to do? He said, verse 37, then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He's mixing his metaphors a little bit, but we can go with him, right? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I want us to get that when we begin to have Jesus as the organizing principle of our lives, and he's the good shepherd, 
And he is the one who begins to help us to be able to know his voice and we respond to his voice and there's protection um, from the outside and there's provision on the inside and that he takes and brings us to himself and we begin to operate out of his leadership and he begins to help us, it says, move in and out into pasture and we get the good things in life. Here's what happens as we begin to see this. But in the New Testament, what happens is Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd but I want you to be able to see the world around you as I see the world around you. He says the people around them are, are, are sheep without a shepherd. Jesus identifies that shepherdless sheep require compassion and action. And so why do we plant churches? Why do we start new groups? Why do we desire that more and more people would be a part of Jesus's work through the church? Because if Jesus showed up around us, if Jesus showed up in our towns and on our campuses and looked around, he would say the same thing. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And ultimately what we are called to do and what we are called to be is the same thing that Jesus was to them, that that he said, they need a shepherd. And so in this, as we think about what do we do, our role is to say, do you hear the voice of the shepherd? Do you hear the voice of the one who ultimately is going to bring you life and bring it to its fullness? And so the question, are we allowing thieves to sneak in? Are we listening to voices other than Jesus and our hearts wandering away from what he's called us to do? Friends, let Jesus be the organizing principle because he is the good shepherd. So in our modern world, when we want to be our own shepherd, when we want to do our own thing, the voice of Jesus, timeless identity rings out to us, rings out to you and me and says, I want to be a good shepherd in your life. So will you let him say, you can shepherd my life? Because in you, I know that there's fullness. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would take and you would help us to see what this means for you to be shepherd and what it looks like for you to be the organizing principle of our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the futility of our control. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the reality of us being sheep. Lord, I I pray that you would take, and, and maybe today there's people in this moment that continue to wander off And as they wander off, they continue to get into these moments where they find themselves in places where they're getting robbed. God, today, if it needs to happen in my life, in any of our lives, Lord, will you take and love us so much that you would keep us from running away from you, that you would pull us back to you God, I pray that our hearts would begin to see the moments where we've begun to decide that that somehow we are a better shepherd. And Lord, that we would today begin to say, okay, I submit. I submit my life to you, the ultimate shepherd. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.